This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momentum. Welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momentum, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative as always. We welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to another edition of our Digital Industry Leadership Series. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Mark Kovsek, the CEO of Conservation Labs, a company providing acoustic water conservation technologies. Conservation Labs is also one of our recent Momenta Ventures investments. Now, Mark describes himself as a mathematician, inventor, and entrepreneur. He spent his career consulting, building products, and delivering solutions to address multi-billion dollar challenges. His passion, however, is mathematics and using advanced analytics to problems. Mark, welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast today. Thanks, Ken. It's really great to be included in the series. I've enjoyed listening to the others and learning about their journey and perspectives in the space. So looking forward to our conversation today. As well, as well. So I guess with that, um, I, you know, I always like to start with a personal digital industry leadership journey. Maybe you can tell us a bit about your journey and, you know, I'll call it the red thread that led you to Conservation Labs. Yeah, it, uh, I, it's hard to ignore the red thread being mathematics. And as uh, you, you, you mentioned in the brief intro, which I appreciate, thank you for that. Um, I've been doing data science work for over 25 years. So I've had the privilege of being, you know, the math guy in the room to being the data mining practitioner back in the 90s and now a data scientist some 25 years later. So that's that's certainly the common thread, but uh, when you think about or what led me specifically to conservation labs um, as it relates to that, it actually started with a leak. And that leak was in my own home back in the summer of 2014. and you know, we, I guess we were fortunate that we lost only about $100 in water. And to make a long story short, there was a bad pot valve in my boiler system. And in the summer, uh, wasn't thinking that that would be an issue. Um, but uh, after kind of uh, identifying that and looking at product in the market to see if I can stop that from happening, happening again, everything was really very expensive, like over $1,500 required a plumber. And of course, this was um, a bit over six years ago. And I thought there had to be a better way, right? And it could have ended there, but the other other thing that was happening at the time, and this maybe means that there are multiple red threads, is the f- family favorite show at that time was Shark Tank. And the kids were always asking me what my big idea was. And so one day I pitched this idea to have this you know, non-invasive, low-cost sensor that would monitor your water use. And I thought, well, that's actually kind of a clever idea. Maybe maybe there's a way to make that a reality. And through a series of serendipitous events, um, I, I kind of placed a bet that we could do that with sound. So I found someone to rent this machine that would log sound data. And I spent the weekend flushing toilets and running water with a stopwatch and measuring, wa- measuring water flow. Basically, what I was doing was building a training set to start to construct some machine learning algorithms. And and of course, it could have ended there because mathematicians are famous for solving problems on paper and then moving on to the next challenge. But this one was different because it was not only a beautifully complex math problem, but it hit really another passion, which was sustainable living and conservation. So I started architecting the solution and 
actually had to find someone, of course, to help me build our own sensor. Couldn't afford the sensor that I rented. It was rather expensive, like a few thousand dollars. And then after doing some more math and filing a patent and then forming a company, and then we were off to the races. You know, that's it's an interesting um, story, kind of how you converge via these multiple vectors to come there. I, I was really intrigued by your your move from two decades in marketing analytics to this space of y'all call it, you know, IOT enabled water conservation, uh, you know, beyond shark tank and, and your, your water leak and, uh, and you know, the, the, some of the mathematics in there, you really kind of, that was a big jump to make from, you know, I would say more retail focused analytics, if you will, or marketing, you know, online marketing focused to, you know, working truly in the internet of things. I mean, you, did you, did you worry about the challenge of making the jump or was it actually relatively easy to do? Uh, you know, the, the challenge from a data and a math perspective, uh, it wasn't easy for sure. And I could, I could describe a little bit about that. I think the bigger challenge of course was moving from, uh, the security or safety of a, not being a founder and not being a startup, that was certainly an adjustment. But when I, when I think about marketing analytics, you know, and I, I got involved in marketing analytics back in the mid nineties, uh, when the data was really all around direct mail, right? I mean, digital was just starting to be a thing in the mid nineties. And I remember the first day on a new job uh, and starting to see all of the consumer data that was available. I was just, I was amazed. First I was amazed and then I was actually quite frightened by the amount of data that was being collected about me and you and everybody else in the world, even you know back in the mid nineties. But then as digital came to be a thing and uh, of course social media, that data continued to grow. And analyzing that data is absolutely fascinating. So understanding consumer behavior, what makes us tick, what motivates us, and using this massive amount of data to do that was is really quite challenging, right? But there was always some push, well, not always, but maybe in the last five or seven years of my career even, um, there was a push that is there something more interesting to do or more problems to solve or bigger challenges. So, you know, you start to do something after a while, right? And it uh, it's the same problem, just with different data and different names. So, you know, I, I was looking for something new. And when that leak happened with my furnace and starting to look at that data, uh, you know, the, that initial challenge was, this is a new data set and it's a big problem and it's a challenge. I didn't realize how, how big of a problem water was at that time. I, I was just learning about it, but I knew it was a incredibly complex data and math problem. And that's what really, really first grabbed my attention um, and thinking about that move away from marketing analytics and consumer data to new data, which is, which is sound data. It's not something that I would have conceived of and you know, would have tracked in my career that one day I really wanted to look at uh, sound data and solve problems with it, but uh, it wasn't being done. And, and, and outside of voice, you know, like Alexa, for example, um, it's still not being done to any large scale. So we really feel like we're at the frontier of a lot of very, very interesting work um, using sound data from the human audible sound range. You know, as as um, uh, different as your trajectory might sound moving, um, as you know, 
there's a, uh, an acronym called SMACT out there, which is Social Mobile Analytics Cloud and uh, IoT, the T and uh, IoT, of course. And so it's interesting that, the, and that's always many times shown as a spectrum, right, of, of how the technologies are building up and also how we're moving from uh, information around uh, people to information around systems and ultimately devices, right? So in some sense, you're you're dead on with that uh, with that trajectory, which is the reason I wanted to call that out because a lot of people would say, hey, I'm, I'm doing marketing analytics, you know, IoT is just so different, right? It's really not, right? And so in some sense, you're a good archetype for that. You had uh, you had mentioned that you and your team's passion, you know, is for solving complex and, and multi-billion dollar challenges. Can you highlight maybe some of your, your early wins in, in doing this? Yeah, well, here, here's your interesting thing. You know, there, there are 11 of us on the team soon to be 12, hopefully as early as this week. And most of the team and I have worked together in the past, some of us for over 20 years. In fact, Dr. Paul Meista, who's one of the authors of our patent, we met uh, initially at Price Waterhouse all the way back in 1993. And uh, we've been working to, you know, we worked pretty uh, intensely together back in the 90s. And then over uh, the course of the next few decades off and on, but there's also Julie and Matthias and Jody, and we've all worked together five, 10, 20 years. So we've been solving problems of you know, varying size and complexity together uh, as a team in different capacities. And I'll give you, I'll give you a few examples. Well, so certainly in the, in the media and analytics space, there are a lot of uh, large problems. In fact, uh, I had the privilege of doing some work with P&G for a while and optimizing their media budget. And if you're familiar with uh, P&G spend, you know, you're, you're looking at um, a billion plus dollars just in what they spend, let alone in what the revenue that's generated from that spend. So that's a, that's a you know, again, a very interesting and complex challenge and a large one. Um, before that, Paul and I actually worked uh, building uh, forecasting and supply chain optimization routines for the McDonald's supply chain. So initially we were looking at uh, Happy Meal toys and our goal was to order enough toys on a global scale, um, you know, months in advance and then run days of supply to zero every week. Uh, so that, that, that is quite a complex and large challenge as well. And another interesting one that uh, I've worked on with some of the team members in past life was, goodness, this is way, way back uh, as part of uh, the IRS's Tax Modernization 2000 program where we were building algorithms to identify tax cheats. And it wasn't just if you cheated. Of course, the IRS uh, kind of runs as a business too. So it's um, if you cheated, how big you cheated, and what was the likelihood that we would get dollars from you. So that, that was an interesting, uh, large, probably pro approaching multi-trillion dollars over, I, actually most of these may be multi-trillion dollars when you count them up over multiple years. That's a uh, great examples. I reminds me of um, I was at the Coke company probably at the time you were working with PNG and it was the same deal. They, the old adage from Marshall McLennan was, you know, half of my marketing spend is wasted. I just don't know which half. <laughs> and uh, and absolutely right. And the more you know, real time signals you can get and the more, uh, you know, true uh, feedback loops you can close. Right. The, uh, the you know, the better the opportunity to uh, be more efficient at that spend. So, yeah, for sure. So let's, let's, Let's dig into uh, conservation labs and uh, and your first product, um, H2NO, as in H2KNOW, which I absolutely love. Um, what what is the complex and multi billion dollar challenge you set out to solve here? Yeah, good question. So, you know, like I mentioned, when I started working on H2NO, which um, 
Goodness, I, I wish I could remember the first name we called it because that name came up much later in our journey. But uh, I knew water was big, but I didn't really appreciate how important it was or, or didn't monetize. And of course, some of my training as a consultant is, okay, let's first figure out and put a dollar amount with this. And so we did our research and uh, we look at the challenge with water just in the US as a $70 billion challenge, meaning that there is unwanted water use, largely in the built environment, but it extends, of course, to conveyance or distribution of water at $70 billion in lost value. To put that in perspective with water itself, just unwanted water use. So unwanted water use could be a leak. It could be um, that you left the shower on. Uh, it could be a catastrophic leak or a leaky toilet. Uh, we look at that and we, we see about 2 trillion gallons of water that are lost. Now, to put that in perspective, 1 trillion gallons of water can meet the needs of the 50 largest cities in the U.S. So that is a lot of water that is uh, lost in some shape or form. And then on top of that, there are about a million catastrophic leaks in the U.S. every year. And, and that's actually $10 billion in of those $70 billion in cost. And actually, that $10 billion is is growing. So we, we look at that from a financial perspective, but we also have to look at it from a resource and sustainability perspective. Of course, the two trillion gallons of water is quite a bit, but then on top of that, and this is something I learned through my journey, is there's something called the water energy nexus. And so in many parts of the US and in, in fact the world, up to 8% and sometimes more than 8% of our energy use is from water use. And so water is a, a big driver of energy. And of course, energy is driving carbon emissions. So when we did the analysis and I was fortunate to have uh, a member of my team who is a theoretical ecologist and theoretical physicist didn't know there was such a thing as the former, but he and I sat down and started building some mathematical models to connect all of this, because there's a lot of research out there, but it, it doesn't always agree and the assumptions are different. And so we really worked hard to analyze other people's uh, work. But anyway, the, the short of it is that we think that water creates up to three gigatons of carbon emissions on a global basis every year. So um, it's a significant part of uh, the carbon emissions challenge that we have. So that that's yeah. that's the problem that we're setting out to solve. It, it actually gets even more complex than that, but that's kind of the way we think about it in terms of dollars and water and carbon and energy. Now that is certainly complex and multi-billion dollar. And I now I can now envision you in front of Shark Tank, uh, uh, given that last spiel that you did, because your pitch is pitch perfect. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I've got to invest in this one. So I, I know when we when we looked at Momentum Ventures um, in, in this space, we've been looking at a range of solutions. And mind you, we work with some very large water, both utilities and equipment providers as well. So we we know a little bit about the space. Um, and, and of course, we were looking both in the space of commercial and residential water management as well. What what differentiates Conservation Labs from some of the other companies that are you know, looking to address this space? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it is that is built around kind of the, I'll call it the vibe, um, the vibe that we're a data and analytics company, that we are a machine learning or data science company. We're not a plumbing company. And our innovation is around the machine learning and creating a highly uh, scalable and extensible way to do something that's incredibly complex. And I'm, I'm really proud of how we initially architected it and more proud of what the team has been able to do with that architecture. Because uh, what, what we are doing from a machine learning perspective is new, it's innovative, it's exciting. So all of that leads to some differentiation, right? So 
the reason why we're so focused on the machine learning is because we, we are using a very inexpensive sensor. That uh, sensor is called a MEMS microphone. It's a nanotechnology. It's in every cell phone in the world. And that's what allows us to, uh, that cost is allowed us to create a very affordable uh, technology. And so for just over $100, we can have one of our sensors installed in a home or a restaurant or in a commercial property. And that's, that's super important because although the numbers are really big when you look at it in total, $70 billion is a, is a big number, but on an individual basis, uh, it's drips and drops really, right? So you, you really need tens or a uh, hundred million uh, folks with a technology like ours to start saving money because the value that's created at a home is about $400 a year. So it's hard to justify spending a thousand or 1500 or even $500 to save or create $400 in value. But our research and of course um, our go-to-market suggests that there is a, a strong demand for at about $100 or $150 for this kind of technology. So affordability is a huge differentiator. Um, but it's also that it's super easy to install. So you, there's no pipe cutting. You don't have to hire a plumber. It is only one sensor. If you can put a wristwatch on your arm, you can put uh, H2NO on your pipe. It is really that easy. So uh, I guess the third one is actionability. So there's this affordability, easy to install. It's adaptable to many environments, but also you know, our guiding principle here is actionable. So it's not just enough to say how much water you're using this hour or that um, you were classifying that use, which is actually even in and of itself a differentiator. So we can tell you if it's a shower or a toilet or if it's in a kitchen, um, if it's in a commercial kitchen, is it the combi oven or the, the tri-sink or those pre-rinse, right? We'll go tell you all of that. But all of that gives us the opportunity to have uh, actionable insights or actionable recommendations. So I'll give you one example of that. So instead of saying, hey, you had a leak in the last hour, what our technology allows us to do is say within uh, seconds or minutes, depending on the type of leak is, hey, uh, your upstairs toilet is leaking and if you don't address it, it's going to cost you an extra $49 this month. And so we wanna create these actionable insights to create a recommendation to drive action. Because we can't fix the toilet for you. We can't turn off the water or fix the leaky faucet. But what we can do is give you an actionable, very conversational um, piece of information that allows you to address the problem. Can you tell us about some of your cancellations and the results that your customers have seen with your technology? Yeah, um, there's a couple of good, good, good examples. So one, we're actually in the middle of a research study right now with a large plumbing manufacturer, and we're really analyzing and understanding how having this information as well as other insights and actionable insights changes behavior. So a little bit too early to kind of publish those results, but we are seeing redu uh, reduced water usage just by having uh, knowledge of what you're using. And that, that's consistent with other uh, studies and other utilities, that knowledge of your use, in, you know, creating awareness changes behavior. So we're starting to see that, and I think we're gonna see some other very interesting findings from that study coming up. But the one study that I'd like to maybe share and give you some more maybe numbers with is in the multifamily space. So that is key to our uh, go-to-market strategy is, is multi-tenant and specifically multifamily properties. There's a lot of opportunity in those large buildings for water savings, right? But what we found is that it's not only water savings from improved efficiency, it can be water savings, of course, from leaks. It's the uh, 
related expense reduction from heating that water and water waste. It's mitigating the damage. It's also reduced maintenance. And if you're a, if you're a, um, a property owner, there's also the opportunity for income gains from that because if you're promoting sustainability, there's an increasing attractiveness in, in the market for companies, including property owners and landlords that uh, uh, provide for ways to live more sustainably. So what we have seen is that in one study, and this actually happens to be in the UK where we were doing this with um, social landlords, that we saw in the a landlord, he had about 200 properties. And so when we were doing the pilot, we obviously are not uh, doing it on all 200, but when we scaled the results, we saw over a half a million dollars in um, reduction for unnecessary maintenance visits. We saw better energy efficiency, savings of approaching a million dollars. This is on an annualized basis. We saw 4 million gallons of water, um, an opportunity for 4 million gallons of water to be saved. So when you look at that in a typical mid-rise property, that's approaching $40,000 a year in value creation um, in the multifamily space. Some great, uh, great use cases there, and especially as you hit more toward the high density, if you will, housing and residential and commercial, which is really where our, our sweet spot tends uh, tends to be. But having been in companies that have a foot in B2C and B2B, you can see the effects of driving adoption and and cost reduction by by exploring the B2C side of it. And then, of course, uh, you know, monetizing on the B2B side. So the, the, the strategy of having a foot in both actually makes a lot of sense. Um, at the time we're recording this, uh, mid-November, uh, COVID-19 has unfortunately, uh, you know, continued to uh, uh, you know, be a real challenge for a lot of nations uh, now with whole areas being locked up. For us, in some sense, it's also been a digital accelerator, at least for most of our portfolio companies. Um, what are some of the changes you've seen in client requirements since the start of the pandemic? And, and what do you think will be the long-term implications on, on this space? Yeah, well, you know, uh, the, the short-term issues are the same for all of us, just a lot of precaution when we're entering a property, doing a site visit. Uh, we're finding folks to be very um, uh, amenable to those visits um, with, of course, appropriate precautions taken. Um, we really haven't seen a slowdown in terms of interest. In fact, I would say it's accelerated. We're also doing a lot of things remotely, right? So uh, we can't do a site visit for everyone. That's not really as much of an issue with COVID as the fact that Conservation Labs is a distributed company and we're selling literally all across the globe. So it's not cost effective for me to go to the hotel that we're piloting in in Cairo, Egypt, or to Australia, or even to uh, a different city in the US. So what we've done is developed ways to uh, secure blueprints and schematics and work virtually with our partners. So I, I think that's certainly helped folks. It, it, it's helped us in the sense that uh, the expectation of always being on site to do a visit has gone away. And we've proven that we can um, we can uh, do a lot of this work virtually uh, as long as somebody is able to do the installation, of course, which because of the simplicity of what we're doing, it's not been an issue. So that, that's been the, the near term effect, I think, has been some acceleration uh, with our opportunities. But I think longer term, to answer the other part of your question, if you look at COVID as 
I hate to say simply because it's not simple. It's, it's a complex and serious situation. But if you look at it historically as a massive disruption, meaning when there's been other uh, massive disruptions in the past, whether it was pandemic or something else, that what happens is that the trends that are emergent tend to accelerate. And I don't mean just specifically uh, digital trends. I mean, things like uh, we were seeing a trend such as control of property or control of home, sustainability, of course, a desire to reduce costs. Those trends have definitely been accelerating. And I would say interest has been much, much higher for H2NO in the last few months than even a year ago. And I think it's in part because there are there is there is this acceleration of trends. But again, you know, the, the, the other the downside of that, while interest is high because what we're, what we're building or what we built is new, the tech is new, um, to some extent, this digital aspects of what we're doing is new. Um, so the buying processes are not mature. So we do have to work through that aspect of it. And I think that would have been true with a pandemic or not, but we're, we're just seeing it in, uh, in a way that creates a lot, a lot of work right now. And the, the days are quite long because of it. Not complaining mm -hmm. for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> back to that Shark Tank moment way back when. Uh, be careful, you'll get. You might get actually get what you wished for. So exactly. exactly. And, and, and I guess speaking to that and setting aside COVID for a minute, you know, what would you say has been your biggest hurdle, or perhaps I should say, biggest learning you've encountered on this journey with uh, Conservation Labs? Yeah, you know the. The hurdles I think are are the, the normal ones, right? It's fundraising, building products, sales, doing it all at the same time. And I, the, the, the learning for me out of all of that is that um, every day is an opportunity to address those challenges and it, it, that it actually gets harder, not easier because the mountains are higher. The good news is the team is growing and they're there, you know, we're with each other and we're, we're conquering those mountains together. And I think when I realized that um, that it's a, a daily grind, right? That there's there are no real peaks. There's no opportunity to rest at the top and then to pace accordingly. That uh, that was a big learning for me, and it changed my mindset uh, uh, quite a bit. Um, another metaphor that just came up recently with the team. I don't know if you happen if you're a golfer, if you happen to see John Rahm's um, hole in one at the Augusta course where he skimmed the water and the ball just kind of meanders into the hole. And uh, I showed that to the team the other day. And uh, the, the, it was that, hey, every day we get to do a hole in one and that gives us the right to get a hole and run tomorrow. And uh, that, <laughs> that's, the, uh, that's the daily grind that I think about that every day uh, we're, I feel like we're, we, the Conservation Labs team is uh, accomplishing the impossible. Yes, uh, sol solving, as you like to say, complex and multi-billion dollar problems. Absolutely a great, great uh, mantra to live by. So as digital industry investors, you know, we always like to ask, you know, what other startups beyond Conservation Labs, of course, have you seen that you would say are are the ones to watch? Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, my uh, uh, bias, of course, is water, uh, smart property, uh, to some extent, voice. So uh, uh, there's a lot of interesting things going on in the space for sure. Uh, there's a company that uh, I've gotten to know called Simple Water that think about what they're doing. What, they're doing what we're doing with water quality. And so uh, they have developed an, a, really an approach 
to do water quality analysis at scale. And it's pretty interesting that they're digitizing water. Now, now that they have a number of these under their belt, they can digitize this water quality um, in, in, and uh, uh, help improve or you know, not just provide peace of mind for an individual home, but uh, in, in look at ways to improve water quality in a more general sense. So I like those guys. I like what Adam Wilson and his team are doing over at Divi Rod. Again, they're kind of like similar to H2NO, but they're looking at resources in mass, meaning they're looking at the natural resources, lakes and groundwater, and they have a, a very clever satellite system in which they use to do that. Um, really like what they're doing. And a uh, voice is interesting right now. You know, I think about H2NO as interpreting sound data and creating insights from any nonverbal sound, but we're really inspired by what's happening with voice. And there are a number of companies out there that are building great ways to create content and voice like jargon. Um, uh, maybe it's shopping with voice like blue tag. And then um, another company that uh, I, I know and like is Roby that is using voice as a way to interact and um, create more efficient building operations, whether that is something as simple as changing the um, uh, temperature in the room to something more complex with uh, a maintenance process. So that, yeah, there's a lot going on in voice. It's a pretty interesting space when you think about um, not just digitizing voice, but uh, digitizing activity and action um, at a broader scale using voice. Yeah, great suggestions there. Simple Water, uh, Divi, Jargon, Blue Tag, and uh, Roby, if I got it right. Yeah. If you sure. don't mind, maybe I put you on the spot for a minute. Prior to uh, us starting the podcast, we were talking about your new favorite little uh, chatbot. Uh, and if you don't mind me putting you a spot, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, about that, because that started a nice conversation on on the use of voice and some of the power around it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were uh, joking about Clippy from back, I guess that was in the 90s, as one maybe the first little bots out there. It didn't go very well for Microsoft that time, but uh, they and we've all gotten better at it. So kind of in honor of Clippy, the team surprised me over the weekend and created a, a chatbot called Drippy. And Drippy is a way to interact <laughs> with um, our data and our sensors in a very kind of conversational way. Uh, it's an internal tool, but now instead of, um, you know, looking at a report and on, so say our reports are run every six hours and we can analyze it. But if I have a question right now, I'd actually have to go to the database. But Rich came up with uh, a little Slack bot called Drippy that I could just ask Drippy what the status of a sensor is. Is it active? How much water was used today? So a really clever little thing, just a, a kind of a very first generation, first version of it, but uh, a, another great way to use technology to our advantage internally. And then of course that'll ultimately serve as some guiding principles or as a guide to how we might ultimately want to interact with our customers and using conversational chat to do that, I think is an important part of the user experience go forward. Mm, yeah, and, and a, a good way to exemplify kind of the convergence of these trends you talked about earlier in uh, in some of the companies you're looking at as well. So in closing, can you provide recommendations of people, books, and or resources that inspire you? Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I maybe I shouldn't admit this. I'm not a I'm not a great reader, but uh, I do like people. As a mathematician, that's not always <laughs> that's not always a given. And uh, I would say my my like general recommendation, especially if you're an entrepreneur, is find other entrepreneurs that are grinding it out and just not stopping. So I'm I'm inspired by them, and I seek other entrepreneurs out. I talk to them. I learn from them. I stay accountable with them. 
And uh, that is something I do on a very regular basis, you know, weekly for sure. Um, and I'm, you know, I form different kind of small groups to do that. So that that's absolutely something that I do. Um, and I recommend that anybody that is, whether it's, uh, you know, you're building a business from the ground up or managing a business or whatever, however, that level of accountability is pretty important. Uh, the other really non-conventional way that I am inspired is by doing things entirely outside of the business world and the startup world. And I was mentioning to Ken that I'm in a musical and I would say uh, that's a very inspirational aspect for, for me. Like uh, first, first I'll, I'll admit I have to work twice as hard to be half as good as anybody else. And I'm just the third guy on the right, but I'm amazed <laughs> at the talent and the dedication and the spirit of theater that brings this like amazing amount of coordination and choreography and harmony and this diverse talent together and ultimately to create this magical moment. And I just want to be a part of that, uh, you know, no matter even how small the role, role is. So I'm, I'm really inspired to create that same magic at Conservation Labs. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to see that happen, whether it's on the stage or um, this year virtually on film or in, in, the, in the virtual halls of Conservation Labs. Yeah, a lot, lot of uh, uh, common patterns there as you describe choreography and harmony and all those things, all for that great moment, i.e., uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, hitting your revenue targets or exiting your company, whatever your target may be. Right. So, it's uh, yeah. So, Mark, thank you for providing this insightful interview. Thank you, Ken. Really fun to uh, talk about conservation labs and appreciate the questions today. Oh, yeah. No, very much so. So, uh, well, this has been Mark Kovsak, the CEO of Conservation Labs, and I'll just call him Mr. H2No because I think it very well describes him and the company and the product. So thank you for listening, and please join us next week for the next episode of our Digital Industry Leadership Series. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts and webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.